Hi, I'm Justin Hayat, and this is 36. The Lamed Vav Siddiquim is a tale built on the idea that out there in the universe, somewhere in the far corners of the world, there are 36 anonymous, really good people who hide in the shadows but step forward when we need them most. In 2020, somehow, I managed to get on a plane to Israel to find out more about these secret souls and hear their stories. This is my journey to find wonder and goodness in our once magical world. Our phones are powerful. With them, we can access the world. We engage and respond and sometimes create. We can text friends or virtually anyone in the world. We can burn bridges or build new ones, fight on social media or learn to live with the blue check marks. We can accept the world as it is or we can slowly type up a new one. Hananya Naftali knows this. Beyond politicians and news people, there's no greater author or writer of Israel's global story. He doesn't hide in the background, but his virtual influence and reach do. He touches and prods the minds, hearts, biases, and phones of millions of people a month, across borders, across political spectrums. We entered the age of the influencer a long time ago, and I've always wanted to meet one. We can't understand today's world without understanding the power of these new storytellers. This is my conversation with Hananya Naftali. We are here at a cafe. We have some nice, uh, you know, French bakery goods, watermelon. Pellegrino, and I'm sitting next to probably my favorite person to follow on social media, Hananya Naftali. How are shalom, you? Shalom, shalom. Hi, hi. <laughs> it's wonderful. First of all, thank you for the watermelon. It's, it's <laughs> fantastic. Uh, but it's wonderful. Wonderful to sit here on a beautiful day. So you are probably, I would say, the most influential social media activist for Israel in the world. I think the numbers uh, speak for themselves. You have nearly a million followers on Facebook. Your reach is out of this world. And all you are doing is telling the story and the truth of Israel. How did you start? First of all, I was born and raised in Israel. I was born in Tzfat in the Upper Galilee. So living here in Israel, seeing the conflict. I also lived near Jenin, what is also known as uh, the West Bank in Samaria, in a community called Kadim. So I, I lived the conflict. I lived right next to the Palestinians. I lived, I remember as a kid, we would go and shop in Jenin, in the Palestinian city. We would work together with them and uh, stuff like that. So how I started, that's basically seeing what's happening, seeing the conflict, going through this uh, Lebanon war. When was that? 2006. You know, as How old were you? Ah, uh, I think I was like 13 or something. Bar Mitzvah Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyways, you know, I joined the military. I was in the armored corps. I fought in the Gaza, in the Gaza Strip during the Gaza War in uh, 2014, which happened right after my birthday. Oh, and then I'm inside the Gaza Strip, given strict commands to save human life, including Palestinians, and to, to avoid civilian casualties. You know, but but how it worked is that we, we would enter the Gaza Strip, we would fight there for like uh, a week, 
and then we would come back to to Israel, you know, to refill, to refresh, to you know, perhaps take a shower, and then head back to the Gaza Strip. Uh, but when we were inside the Gaza Strip, I didn't have my phone. They would take our phones. So then, you know, coming back to Israel, I would open my phone, read the news, and I'm like, what? CNN is say- is saying that Israel uh, Israeli tanks bombed civilian homes that is that this and that seeing the protests against israel seeing the rallies the the palestinian uh flags the all hate. around the world the hate look and it uh, you know it came to, to my mind that hey they're not protesting israel's actions in gaza they're protesting israel's existence because they are just saying free palestine free palestine free palestine and like pause for a second and think to yourself, what's free Palestine? Because they're like, they're chanting from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. What, which river they're talking about? The Jordan River, which sea, the Mediterranean. You know, Israel happens to be in, in between, you know? So I came to, to realize that, hey, they, they don't want a, a two-state solution. They don't want a state next to Israel. They want a state in place of Israel. You know, so seeing this on the media, I, I told myself, I remember I was in front of my phone, right next to the border, motor shells were, were falling. It's like a movie scene. And I'm like, if I'm coming back alive from this operation, I'm going to start and speak the truth. I don't care that my English is not good because back then, you know, I'm an Israeli, born and raised, been to the US only once. So I'll start tell the truth. From my perspective, no one stands behind me. It's just me, an Israeli that shares his heart of what was it like to be in the Gaza Strip, to fight, to defend my country. So that's basically how I started. So thanks to Hamas for encouraging me to, to stand up to their lies and to the Palestinian activists around the world that uh, encouraged me and motivated me to, to tell the truth. Tell me about your childhood in uh, Tzfat. Mm, well, I don't remember much from Tzfat because I was a little kid. My parents, they came from the former Soviet Union. Oh, really? yeah, you're a yeah. Russian-speaking Jew? Or yeah. You're... Oh, wow. So I, I, I do understand Russian. Dasvidaniya. Dasvidaniya. That, that, we'll say that after the podcast. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, goodbye. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> right before the borscht. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they made Aliyah in, in 1990. So they made Aliyah to Tzfat, straight to Tzfat. So that's where I was born. And then we moved, as I've said earlier, to Samaria to live among the Palestinians. So my, my parents are really zionists which is uh, a curse in some in some places in the world to be a zionist yeah so growing up i grew up to know that palestinians are not my enemies uh, my parents would tell me you know these are our arab neighbors you know so they basically built a house in uh, samaria in this community called kadim right next to the Jin- to Janin. and the people that worked for us were palestinian you know so as a kid I literally have pictures with uh, these Palestinian uh, workers that would build our home in Samaria. So we had good relations with them. And I think that this, this was an important part of, of my life and, and of what I do. Because I learned that Palestinians obviously are human beings. They are not my enemy. It is the radicals that are causing all the problems. So, you know, as growing up as a child... I remember, you know, uh, bringing coffee to to them. You know, my my mom would here in the Middle East. We, uh, it's it's a coffee break every every you know two minutes every two minutes kind of yeah. 
So I remember, you know, my mother would send me with coffee to, to the Palestinian workers uh, and we would sit, hang out with them. Uh, and they were the kind, one of the kindest people I've ever met. How do you balance kind of like, uh, like, do you think of those people and the practical application of living next to uh, another people? How do you wrestle with that in your work today? Well, I don't think that there's, there's an issue with that because, hey, it's a fact that there are Palestinians and they live where they live. You know, some say, hey, we, let's deport them. Who are you to deport them? You know, there's no reason to kick people because that's that. I mean, they live there. Oh, so obviously we need to find uh, a solution that will last. So growing up next to them, we had really good relations, really good relations. I actually, you know what? I remember that me and my father would always go to Janine. I loved to hang out with my father. He, he was. Uh, What's like, his name? Israel. Israel. That's that's his name. <laughs> Tell me about your like family's journey to Israel. Mm, yeah, so they were brought to Israel with the Jewish agency. Their greatest dream was to come to Israel. And obviously you were not allowed to do that during the communist era because you'd get in trouble. Um, but then as soon as, as soon as communism collapsed, they said, Yala, it's time to come home to Israel. And if you leave the Soviet Union, you have to give up your citizenship you are you are being stripped of your belongings basically so my parents came to israel with the help of the jewish agency they brought them i think to budapest and then from budapest on a flight to israel so they came to israel with uh, i think 300 dollars. that's it and a lot of russian jews that's how they came to israel in the 90s you don't speak as much about you on your social media you know you really focus about um the content surrounding israel and the conflict is that by design or you follow the work? Uh, it's not by design. Look, I'm very open about, about myself and I'm more than happy to share my life. But you know, sometimes perhaps I'm, it's not a struggle, but it's, it's, a, it's a thought with myself like, hey, what's more important? You know, obviously talking about Israel is more important than I am. But then, then I'm thinking, hey, but if I want people to connect, they need to see the person and the personality. So then I'm like, hey, I have to, I have to push a story here and there sometimes. But it's not by design. I'm, look, we all love our privacy, but at the end of the day, I was born into this conflict and I'm living this. It's the air I breathe, unfortunately. So that's my main focus. But then, then like sometimes I'm like, oh hey, yeah, you you should you should definitely talk, uh, say say something about yourself, so they will not forget that it's a person doing this and not like an organization or something. And that's probably your greatest strength, I think, that you are guided as a person, not as an organization. Organizations obviously have conflicting interests with the cause itself because you have to survive, yada yada yada. So I think that's actually you really harness the individualism of your of your work to the benefit of the larger cause. Do your parents have like this immigrant hustle, this Russian hustle? What were the values that they gave to you that you kind of really infused into your work? I mean, you showed up here at like, you know, 10 a.m. and it looks as if you had already had a whole day. You're like, yeah, <laughs> woke up at five. I did this. I did this. I did this. You, you know, you drove your motorcycle to this cafe, you know. I'm careful, me. guys. I'm yeah. careful. Don't worry. So, I mean, but tell me about the work ethic that you must have inherited from your parents. There's no way that that just happened. Well, you know. They, they say that at the typical Russian home, they demand a lot from their children. It's like if you go, if you go to, to the school, 
and uh, you, you get an A at a test. So it's like, oh, it's just an A. Uh, well, next, next time get an A plus, okay? So it's like very encouraging parents, encouraging to, not, not towards perfection, but encouraging to, to get the most out of yourself. You know, I wake up and I'm getting things done because there's not one minute to waste. Because obviously the way I see it is that our enemies are working around the clock. And as you've said previously, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this all alone. So I feel like I have a responsibility to, to share the truth because honestly, it feels like if, if, if I'm not doing this, then it feels like the truth is not getting out there. So that's something I, I really learned from my parents to not to demand too much from yourself, but to, to encourage yourself to get the best out of what you can get. When he was the prime minister, I worked for the, the prime minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu. I started working when I was uh, 22, which is funny because years ago, it was my dream. I told myself, wow, Hanania, it's, if you make it to make a video with him, that's it. Check. Then check, that's enough. Check. You're the man. So I did this video. I was like, yeah, that's awesome. I you remember know? that video. Right. We, which it wasn't the best video because, you know, I was told... I was told to wait outside the office. I'm alone, so I'm, it's me, my tripod, and my camera. And then, then they told me, Hanania, uh, change of plans. You don't have 10 minutes, you have two minutes. Make the most out of them. So I'm like, and I, I remember, I'm like entering his office, seeing the prime minister for the first time, and you're like a 22-year-old kid. You're like, wow. It's like, so the, when the door opens, you're like, like my it's first like this thought. energy came right Yeah, yeah, it's you. like, he's like historic. But then I'm like thinking in my head, two minutes, you know, remember what my Russian uh, parents taught me. So I'm like, yalla, setting the tripod, let's get it done. Need, uh, need to take, take advantage of these two minutes. And so anyways, months later, I got an offer to, to work for him. Maybe he enjoyed the, our conversation about defending Israel on the media, which, you know, thankfully, I think he liked the conversation. That's why it wasn't really two minutes. It was five. And I believe that, you know, my point here is that I believe that whatever dream you have, double it because you can, you are your own limit, really. And there's nothing that can stop you, but yourself. You are your own barrier when it comes to achieving your goals and dreams. It's luck, knowledge, and chutzpah. This exactly. You, you say you're not, a, you're not a news station, but one million followers is, in some, some news stations have one million followers. How have you kind of ridden this global trend of social media? It's a far more decentralized system of information for both good and also in Israel's case, it's really not good. How have you kind of ridden this wave instead of letting this wave ride you as it has ridden against Israel many times? Look, it's very simple. Social media is where people come today to discuss, to argue, to fight. You know, years ago in Greece, I mean, we, we all say that Greece is the, is the mother of democracy. So they would come to, to the gate of the city and argue. So nowadays, social media is this gate. People come to argue. And I saw on the news, on the media, all these people bashing Israel. And so I thought to myself, hey, why don't we do the same but telling the truth? Because like, why do we have to apologize why do we have to explain ourselves and say oh no we look listen guys no we didn't try to 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 bomb here it's 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 actually a territory why do we have to to adopt this this 
bad attitude. So, you know, I told myself, hey, I'm, I'm going to this gate, not to apologize. I'm going to say what's on my mind. And if people don't like that, I'll tell them, you know what? This is the truth. These, these are the facts. If you don't care, you choose to be ignorant. You choose to not listen to the other side. And, you know, I think that this is something that's so important. You know, people always ask me, who are your target audience? Are you preaching to the choir or are you changing opinions? And, you know, I, I like to divide it into three groups. You have, you have people that are anti-Israel, you have neutral people, and you have pro-Israel people. And a lot of the anti-Israel people, they don't want to listen. They just want to be heard. And, you know, that's a problem because you can't have a conversation with somebody that doesn't want to listen. So I'm not even targeting people that don't want to listen. Anyways, this is how I see things. And this is how I started. And I told myself, if they do that, if they go to squares, if they go to gates and, and wave the Palestinian flag or chant death to Israel, uh, why don't we go to the squares, to the gates and tell the truth? We have nothing to apologize for. You know, I was in the military, as, as I've said previously, I, was, I fought Hamas. And I always say this, you know, before I was given my weapon, my M16, I was given a small booklet with the IDF code of ethics. So they first of all tell you, and I remember the, this day, you know, first day in the military, you get your uniforms, you're like, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm a soldier now. And then they give you this booklet. And, you know, I, re I remember sitting in the class and you're like, read this, read this booklet, memorize this. And we sat in the class for like two hours just reading this uh, booklet with the IDF Code of Ethics that first of all teaches you to behave, to be a human being, to preserve human life. Uh, because later when I was a combat medic, I was treating Syrian people, Syrian civilians, Palestinians. So I think that this is something that a lot of people don't know. Um, and this is something that I want the world to know. And you have a world on social media. Yeah. What do you think our side does really well? And what do you think that we need to do? We need to step up our game with? I think that at the end of the day, we should adopt this attitude, unapologetic attitude, because we are not committing crimes. We are not, obviously no country is free of blemishes, listen, uh, but to, to focus just on Israel and to bash Israel, this is shameful. So I think that what we should get better at is to stop apologizing and stop treating ourselves like we need to apologize and say, yes, Israel is strong. Yes, we have a powerful army, but we don't have that, you know, for, for any other reason than to defend ourselves. This is exactly why we need an army because we have enemies that want our destruction. So this, this is something that I think we should get better at, to not apologize, to just say, hey, these are the facts, you know? But also, you know, that's, that's what I hear from other friends of mine who are in this field as well, that it also feels like a lot of us Jews and, uh, uh, you know, around the world, perhaps because of anti-Semitism, we are a little withdrawn back and not wanting to share too much. You know, thinking that, hey, I need to protect my privacy. I need to protect myself. That's why I will not share too much. Uh, not to talk about people that, that message me saying that, hey, I'm afraid to wear my kippah in, in France because, because in, of anti-Semitism. In the U.S. now, too. Yeah. So... I think that we should adopt the opposite attitude. Say, you know what? I am going to wear my kippah. I am going to wear my, my Magen David necklace because I'm not the one that should be afraid. It is the anti-Semites that should be afraid. And What should they be afraid of? Because they are committing 
a crime by attacking Jews. They, they're committing a crime and they, they, the world should know that anti-Semitism is an ancient disease that is obviously more dangerous than the COVID um, because- There is no cure. Honestly, honestly. And, but I think that the way to, to combat this is to be unapologetic, to adopt this attitude that we are not the ones that should be scared. Why, why should we be scared? Have we wronged someone? You know, according to the anti-Semites, yes, we did because we're Jews. You know, when I was in Germany uh, speaking there, there was this uh, lovely German family that, uh, you know, toured me around the city and they showed me this synagogue and this church and these mosques. And, you know, very interesting. When, I, when we stepped into this, uh, not, not the synagogue, the street where the synagogue was, I saw immediately security guards and, you know, you know me, I'm, I like to film stuff. So I, you know, was filming and they're like immediately approached and said like, what, 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 what are you doing? What are you filming? This and that, like investigating outside the synagogue. I, I didn't see the same security outside of a church or a mosque. And, you know, you need to ask yourself, why is that? Why is that? Why, why do Jews need security? You know, so, so the, the, big, the bigger picture is that I think that we should start and adopt the other attitude. Then you think about it this way, like if you're running from, from something, maybe you're encouraging them to, to, to chase after you in even greater ways. But what if you turn around and you, you start chasing them, you know? Talk to me about the communities of faith that follow you. What is your engagement and involvement with the Christian community globally as well as in the States? Look, there's no doubt about that, that Christians are the number one supporters of Israel. And they are amazing people. It honestly makes, it brings tears to my eyes to, to think that, hey, there, there are Christians who are praying for Israel, who are over 7,000 miles away from Israel in the U.S., in South America, and Europe, praying for Israel. In some Church. case, more than American Jews. True, true. In my opinion, they are the number one supporters. They are the, the greatest ambassadors that Israel has. But there are a lot of people that follow me from different groups of faith. I have uh, Christians, obviously, Jews, Muslims, Hindus from all kinds of uh, faiths and religions. And I think that this is something amazing that Israel is what unites all of them together. You know, that they want peace. They want global peace. They, they want to support Israel because they, they understand and cherish the values that Israel cherishes. And they understand the, the need that Israel has the right to defend itself. You know, so I think that this is just incredible to see Jews, Christians, Muslims. Like, ask yourself, like, what unites Jews, Christians, Muslims, Hindus, Israel? Yeah. You know, it's it, so cool. Yeah, and I think also there's a tremendous opportunity with the Abraham Accords and the peace with UAE, Bahrain, Morocco. Oh, absolutely. How are you, I, I how are you so starting many... to tap into that? Or, or maybe, honestly, maybe uh, predating the formal accords, you're already tapping into it. Can you tell me a little about that? About your engagement as a social media influencer and uh, mastermind with people from the Arab world. That's very interesting. It's, it's also, you know, it's also a dream of mine to, to learn Arabic. I'll do that one day. I really want to engage with the Arabs in the Middle East. A lot of them did not know anything about Israel. They knew what they heard. And I'll tell you a story about that. I once I got a message from this Egyptian student. He messaged me on Facebook saying, hey, I thought about entering Israel via Jordan and stab Jews because I, I, I learned that you guys are monsters and that you kill Arabs and that you kill children. And so that's what he is messaging me. And I'm like, oh boy, 
I better continue re read this uh, message, hoping that it's a good one. He continues and he says, but I saw one of, your, one of your videos. You made a video with an Arab Muslim uh, guy and I saw that you respect him. You don't hate him. And I saw that you're not the monsters I, I, I thought you were. So I think that this story, and, and he said, now I support Israel. And this is something incredible. And well, it's not only support Israel. Now I don't want to stab a Jew. True. True. Which is in the Western context, you know, it's, it's a far leap. Like it's a crazy thinking. True. But in the Middle East, this is far more commonplace than one's stomach can fathom. Unfortunately, yeah. Uh, so, you know, with, with the Middle East, I was always respecting Arabs. And th this is my attitude. I, I respect Arabs. I respect Palestinians. I love Arabs. I love Palestinians. In the same way, I love, I love other people. Because, you know, at the end of the day, we're people. And we, should, we shouldn't have this conflict among us. Because it's, uh, it's, it's radicalism that, that causes this conflict. I have a lot of respect towards Arabs, but no respect to radicals at all. And I think that everybody should join this, uh, this uh, mission as well. But long story short, Arabs are amazing people. And I do believe that a lot of them, especially in the Gulf, they know that Israel is not the obstacle to peace. Obviously, they know that Israel, well, many of them, right, in, in, in the Gulf, they, they do see that Israel is a, is a world superpower in innovation, startup, medicine, and all these kind of stuff. And they, wanna, they, they want to cooperate. They want to, to partner with us. And this is amazing. And it's not so new, right? Like it was an unspoken truth in the Middle East for many years. And the Abraham Accords kind of brought this to light. True, which made it a big deal because, because it's like an Arab country that says, yes, we want peace with Israel. Yes, we don't have a, a, a problem to partner with Israel in the public eye. And I, I was really frustrated in the States. I mean, it was September 2020. A lot of stuff was going on, obviously. The Abraham Accords really in American media did not get the respect that it deserved. Maybe it was because of the president. Maybe it was because of the COVID. Who knows? But it was so disappointing because, you know, the media in America, you know, of course, the, the more right-wing media covered it. But the mainstream yeah. media did not really cover it. Then fast forward to uh, this year, the war. This was covered incessantly by the media. <laughs> incessantly. And, uh, you know, it's like an 11-day war. It was everywhere. And you really did feel the, the changing of the tides in American pop culture and American media and American popular society about right. Israel. And I think that the difference between these two things really shines a light on it. If you want to speak to that. Actually, that's that's a really interesting point. To be honest, I, I haven't thought about that. You know, that when when there was peace, it wasn't really broadly covered. Obviously, they had to mention that. But, you know, that then then you have to think, did they ignore it because, because of the personalities that brought this peace about? But, but then with the conflict, it's like, oh, great. We have a reason to blame Israel. Let's do it. Let's yeah. do it. And honestly, it's it's just uh, it's just shameful that they're they're like looking at Israel with like putting Israel under this like magnifying glass, trying to find blemishes so hard. But when when we bring peace together with Arab countries, which is historic, like listen, people don't realize this, but we are privileged to live in this era, in this era because like you are seeing more peace. And you are seeing how the radicals are getting obviously angry at this. Obviously, Hamas and the Islamic Jihad in Gaza were not happy about this peace. 
because it shows the truth. It shows that, hey, Arabs don't really support uh, terrorism. You know, Arabs are people just like us that at the end of the day, they want to come back to their families, drink coffee, talk about the day. You know, so these are the Arabs that bring peace. And yeah. and I think that it's just I- incredible. You know, but with, with the conflict, I think that the, there will be an end to that because at the end of the day, peace is the future here. And radicals have no future in the Middle East. Like we are tired of wars and conflicts. And, and now you see Arabs that realize that Israel is not the obstacle. Israel wants peace, just like they do. We're asking everyone, you know, what's a song or idea or a verse or a poem or a Talmud Torah that keeps you going? There has to be something more than just this coffee that keeps you running. True. Well, I, I love to read the, the Bible. And I always remember these two uh, verses that encourage me to create more friends to Israel around the world. And it is uh, from Genesis 13.2, if I'm not wrong. And that it's, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Because obviously we're about sharing the facts and not all people choose to believe in God. It's their right. But I do believe in God. And I, I do think that it's obviously we're witnessing miracles. So how can you not? But regardless of that, another verse from Zechariah, I think Zechariah 13, 6 or something that basically tells that, you know, nations will rise against Jerusalem and that they, they will come, but then God will, will defend Israel. And I, so I'm always thinking about that, that, hey, at the end of the day, there, there's this uh, verse that says, you know, people, you know, nations can rise against Israel, but at the end of the day, they, they will only harm themselves and not Israel. So it, it honestly motivates me because in a world filled with, you know, unfortunately hate and, and conflict and people are so easily offended and people don't want to listen. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not like, you know, saying everybody, but, but we have this culture of not, not, not listening to each other, you know, canceling each other, hate, more hate, more hate. So I'm motivated by knowing that we are standing on the right side of history and as funny as it may sound to, to people, God stands with us. And I do truly believe that, you know, we are like the six day war. That's if that's not a miracle, then what is it? The Iron Dome. If that's not a miracle, what is true? So I think that this is just incredible to think that, hey, I'm doing I'm standing on the right side of history. I don't need to lie. All I have to do is to share the truth and the facts and the creator of this world stands with us. How cool is that? So yeah, this this is what motivates me. Yeah. Wow. Well, we're so happy that you're motivated. We're so happy you joined us for coffee, but even more so, I hope you'll join me for a drink one time. Hananya, my new friend. Thank you so much, man. Thank you for having me. Awesome. You get the check or I get the check. <laughs> As Hananya started to leave, he put on his motorcycle gear. I think after our conversation, he felt a little more like Bruce Wayne than an activist. Maybe, but we'll let him have it. In a world of disinformation and ulterior motives, he's one force among many whose reach is unparalleled and whose mission is to tell this country's story. He set off on his motorcycle, phone in pocket, the narrative of the country he calls home forever sitting 
on the edges of his fingertips. Thanks for joining me on 36. This podcast is hosted by me, Justin Hayat. Our managing producer is Sarah Shemla. Our executive producer is Attila Samfalvi. And our editor is Robert Scarmuccia. This is a production of Soul Shop and sponsored by B'nai Zain. Please rate and review this podcast in your podcast app of choice and share it with your friends, your butcher, and your shadchan. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again soon. <laughs>